Hello and welcome. This is an audio recording of an IFG live event. Good afternoon and welcome. My name is Akash Pound. I'm delighted to be chairing today's event in conversation with Rebecca Evans, who I will introduce in a few moments. Uh, this is the fourth in the Institute for Government's Elections 2021 event series, and it follows similar events that we've hold, held over the past uh, couple of months with the Scottish Conservative leader Douglas Ross, Plaid Cymru leader Adam Price and uh, Mayor of Greater Manchester Andy Burnham. And the recordings of all those events are on our website and podcast channel. We also have events coming up shortly with Welsh Conservative leader Andrew R.T. Davies and SNP Constitution Secretary Mike Russell. So please do look out for those as well. But today I am very pleased to welcome Rebecca Evans, who is Minister for Finance in the Welsh Government and Trefnith of the Senate. And the latter post is an approximate equivalent of the leader of the House in Westminster terms. And um, I ask the Welsh speakers among you to forgive my pronunciation, which, which I'm sure was terrible. <laughs> Rebecca is also a member of the Senate for Gower. Um, and she has previously held various other ministerial portfolios, including for housing, public health and farming. And um, before first entering the Senate, the Welsh Parliament in 2011, Rebecca worked as a policy manager for a disability charity. So over the next uh, 45 minutes or so, I will be asking Rebecca a series of questions about Welsh devolution, about the election that's taking place in six weeks uh, time from today, about the State of the Union and the relationship between Cardiff and Westminster. If you in the audience have any questions for Rebecca, please just stick them in the chat function on Microsoft Teams. And um, I mean, if you don't mind, say who you are as well. Um, if you want to join the conversation on Twitter, the IFG events account uh, will be tweeting using the hashtags IFGDevo and elections2021. So, uh, Rebecca, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. And very good pronunciation. I'm very impressed. Oh, I'm very pleased <laughs> to hear that. Thanks very much. <laughs> um, OK, great. So um, I'd like to start by um, talking a bit about the the election. So yeah, as, as mentioned, polling day is uh, six weeks from today, May the 6th, or at least it, it, it should be. I just wanted to start by asking you to confirm that the elections are definitely going to be going ahead because until recently there was quite a lot of speculation that they might have to be postponed due to due to coronavirus. Uh, no, I'm very happy to confirm that the election will be going ahead as planned on the 6th of May. We did introduce some legislation in the Senate to allow our Slywydd, our who is the presiding officer, to uh, postpone the election if needed on public health grounds. But we now know that the situation uh, isn't uh, you know, on that end of the spectrum and that we are able to run that election uh, safely and uh, very much looking forward to it. OK, well, that's 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 good to hear. And um, so this will be an election, though, that's um, it's going to be taking place still in the context of coronavirus. I mean, how different is it going to be, do you think, for uh, for, for voters and, and also, I suppose, for, for political parties um, as an election? 
I think this election is um, completely different from any that we've had previously in a number of ways. Firstly, campaigning is so different. Uh, under normal circumstances, we would have been out knocking doors Saturdays and Sundays and a couple of nights a week since probably last September. But of course, we haven't been able to do any of that. So um, we're relying as campaigners, lots on telephone canvassing, on, on leafleting, lots of social media work, for example. So in that sense, it's very different. You don't have that uh, personal uh, uh, interaction with voters in the way that you would really, really like to. But unfortunately, the public health situation just hasn't allowed that kind of campaigning uh, to take place. Uh, but that said, I think that uh, the kind of issues that people are going to be caring about in this election are probably different uh, to, to previous elections. People will, I'm sure, be judging the Welsh Government on its performance in terms of handling the pandemic and then also considering what the various parties are offering in terms of uh, their vision for the recovery as we move out of the pandemic. And we're certainly uh, are very focused on a recovery that doesn't leave anyone behind in Wales, that's green and fair and that uh, seeks to repair the damage that has been done to young people's lives and also ensure that our NHS is in good shape for, for the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I did exactly want to go on to what you see as the, the, the key issues at stake and, and, and you've given an indication of that. Um, so I suppose just building on that, what, what do you see as the, what are the big dividing lines then at this election between uh, Welsh Labour and, and the, the main opposition parties? I think that we've seen uh, Welsh Labour being really responsible over the um, over the course of the Senate, but particularly so in terms of our response to the pandemic. So I think what you'll see in Welsh Labour's manifesto is very much one which is costed and deliverable, whereas I know it's temptation for other parties who perhaps don't believe that they necessarily will be in a position to be delivering on their promises uh, to promise people uh, the world. And so that uh, can be more challenging, I think, if, if you are a party uh, which is in government and which uh, is fighting to be in government uh, the other side of the election. I think that um, our approach to recovery for the NHS will be really important in terms of how much focus uh, different parties are going to be willing to put on public services, how much investment we're in, uh, willing to put into the NHS, but then also looking at uh, young people who have been you know, particularly badly hit by the pandemic. What more can we be doing to support their mental health? Uh, what more can we be doing to ensure that they all achieve their potential. So one of the things I'm really, really uh, proud of is our guarantee to all young people under the age of 25 that we will provide them with an offer of training, education, employment or support uh, to get themselves into self-employment. So I think the relative focus that different parties put on these uh, challenges will be really interesting as the manifestos get uh, published in the, in the weeks ahead. Yeah, and we'll be looking out uh, with interest to see the manifestos, of course. Um, OK, so um, I don't want to get too much into speculation about the results. I mean, as mentioned, obviously, uh, you'll be hoping to be back in uh, in government after May the 6th. Labour's been in government in Cardiff throughout the 21 years of devolution. Um, and opinion polls suggest you're probably going to be the largest party again, but uh, possibly falling 
short of, of your current position and, and certainly probably short of an overall majority. There was a recent poll that suggested Labour might be on course for uh, just 22 out of 60 seats in, in the Senate. Um, I mean, obviously, that's just one poll and so on. Um, but if we end up in that kind of a scenario where, where Labour doesn't have the numbers to, 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 to form a majority by itself, what would you like to see uh, happen in terms of government formation? Um, would you be and are you already thinking about the potential of going into coalition with with Plaid, uh, with whom Labour did govern together for four years um, some time ago? Or would you prefer to govern as a minority and kind of do deals along the way on, on a bill by bill basis? What, what's your preference? I, I think and you expect me to say this that it's probably uh, too premature to be having uh, those particular kind of discussions because obviously six weeks out from Poland Day um, all parties are focused on uh, winning a majority and that's very much what our mind is uh, set on at the moment but as you say um, you know there has been a very difficult poll for uh, Welsh Labour recently putting us at that uh, uh, level of 22 seats but I don't think it necessarily uh, takes into account all of the local issues which are at play in Senate elections particularly. Uh, many of our seats are very, very closely fought. Uh, my own majority is 1,900. By Westminster standards, that would be quite small, but actually it's uh, uh, it's not too bad in Senate standards because some of our seats actually are held by um, only a couple of hundred votes. So, um, you know, every vote very much does, uh, does count in, in Senate elections. Uh, so I don't want to speculate as to what uh, might happen afterwards. And I know that... Uh, uh, that that you understand that, but uh, I probably wouldn't go any further than that today. <laughs> yeah, no, understood. Okay, that's fine. Well, I mean, we had, as as mentioned earlier, Adam Price, the, the leader of Plaid, doing a similar event uh, recently, and and I know he he said at that event, and he said in other uh, contexts as well that Plaid would only be interested in a in a coalition with Labour if it was a sort of equal partnership rather than a senior junior partner kind of arrangement. Um, but I, I, I take it that you're not you're not starting to strategize about that from based on your previous answer about how that anything like that could work. Uh, at the moment, obviously, we're very much focused on uh, seeking to gain a uh, Labour majority uh, because we think that, uh, you know, Labour has done a, a good job in terms of managing the pandemic. And now we just need the tools to be able to finish the job in terms mm -hmm. of uh, taking us through to that uh, green and fair recovery that that we all want sure. to see. Sorry, I can't give you any more. No, no, no. It. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's entirely understandable. Um, yes. I mean, the election comes first, obviously, from your perspective. Um, OK, I mean, one other question about the opinion polls, they're not specifically about voting intention, um, but rather about well the future of the union, which I want to get on to uh, discussing with you in in the next part of this uh, conversation. Um, but there's been a few polls recently over the last year or so, I would say, that have suggested there's been a bit of a rise in support for Welsh independence. Uh, one poll recently had support at uh, nearly 40%, I think, which obviously that's below, you know, the kind of position we're talking about in Scotland. But historically, that's sort of well above the normal position or the, the historic position in Wales. So what do you think is the reason uh, for that trend? And, and as, a, as a unionist, uh, does it worry you? 
I think it's undeniable that there has been an increase in interest uh, in the idea of independence in, in recent uh, months and probably over the course of uh, the last year or two. Um, for me, though, I understand that the vast majority of people are still within that kind of spectrum of uh, being in favour of devolution or even more devolution rather than being at the um, the harder end of seeking independence or the harder end of uh, abolishing the Senev. So I think the mainstream is very much uh, in support of devolution, potentially with um, uh, the increase of uh, further devolution to the Senev. Uh, I'm particularly interested in what more we can do in terms of uh, devolving responsibility for rail uh, to the Senev. We've had historic uh, shocking underinvestment on the part of the UK government in terms of rail. So that would be an area that I would be particularly interested in uh, seeing what more we could do uh, in that area. I mean, what's fueling the interest in independence? Um, uh, I, I wonder if it is just a feeling of anger potentially or disappointment at the UK government because people don't feel heard. Uh, and they feel that the, the UK government is uh, is actually seeking to roll back devolution and we've got plenty of, of evidence uh, of that. Uh, so I think that that might be the kind of uh, thing which is fueling, uh, fueling the, 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 the increase in interest at the moment. Mm -hmm. Okay, and um, so, so obviously the, the, the Welsh government is in favour of, of the union, but also for, for several years has made the case for substantial constitutional reform of, of various kinds, and, and you started to, to touch upon that. Um, the First Minister, Mark Drakeford, uh, your party leader, was recently quoted, in fact, as saying that the UK as it is, is over. Um, do you know what did he what did he mean by that exactly? It was quite a, a dramatic way of of putting it. Uh, I think that he was trying to convey that the future of the union is going to look different uh, regardless of what happens and irrespective of all the questions uh, relating to uh, what may or may not be decided by the people of Scotland in, in due course. Mm. I think that um, you know, there have to be new relationships now. Uh, we've, we've left the European Union, we've got new challenges to deal with, we've got uh, entrenched and settled devolution uh, now, although um, clearly we want to go further in, in that regard. Uh, so there's an important um, uh, point really to stand back, look at the intergovernmental relations, how are they working, what more can be done uh, to improve them. As you say, um, there have been long calls for, um, uh, for, for a proper look at this. I think Carwin Jones, the former First Minister, has been calling for a constitutional convention probably since he was a young boy, I think it feels <laughs> he's been saying it uh, for, for, for so long. But um, yeah, there's definitely room, I think, now to start improving on the, uh, the intergovernmental relations. Uh, from my perspective and a finance minister uh, perspective, I think that there is a great deal more that we can do to improve things uh, in terms of relations between uh, the devolved administrations and the UK government, um, particularly in terms of dispute re resolution, for example. Example. Um, we've got the uh, statement of funding policy, we've got the fiscal framework, but occasionally the UK government takes decisions which are well outside of those things. And there's no current uh, way for us to challenge that. There's no independent uh, uh, board or independent arbiter who can take a look at our grievances. And so essentially, 
all we can do is escalate things to the to the joint ministerial council where the uk government is is judge and jury so that is something which is very much lacking i think in terms of our um our our, our intergovernmental relations and the kind of machinery which underpins all of that so i think what uh, mark drakeford was was saying is that things will look different uh, in future uh, but how how they look i think there uh, is isn't yet clear Okay, yeah. Well, so the intergovernmental relations side, I, I do want to come on to that in a moment because there were some quite interesting announcements uh, on that front just yesterday, actually. But before we come to that, I just want to talk about a, a couple of sort of specific areas where um, there have been proposals over, over the years for particular changes or further devolution of powers to Cardiff. Um, so you're, you're the Minister for Finance, of course. Um, are you in favour of setting aside the kind of, you know, how the machinery runs and the dispute resolution and so on? But are you in favour of reform of how Welsh government is funded? For example, would you like to take on further tax powers? Would you like there to be a reform or replacement of the Barnet formula, which is something quick advert the Institute for Government recently published a report on? Um, what what would be your ideal model? Uh, well, several things there. I think that um, in the longer term, we would be looking for reform of the um, of the Barnett formula to something which is more uh, needs based. But I think that that is a big uh, longer term piece of work. In the short term, I think there are things that we need uh, quite urgently and which we've been pressing the UK government to deliver. One of which um, is. Uh, more flexibility in terms of access to the Wales Reserve, for example. Now that sits at only uh, £350 million and in any one year we're only able to draw down 125 million revenue and 50 million capital, which is you know, it's very small when you're talking about a, a 20 billion pound uh, budget. So uh, more access to the Wales Reserve, more access to carry funding across financial years. Uh, 350 million, as I say, is is uh, is very small, especially in a year such as the one we've just had in, uh, in terms of the additional funding mm. which has come to to Welsh government, and then also. Um, greater borrowing powers. So at the moment, we're able to borrow up to £125 million, uh, up to an aggregate of a billion. So, you know, that doesn't necessarily meet uh, the needs, especially with uh, the recent uh, decisions that the UK government has taken in respect of capital funding and what they're intending to do in terms of bypassing devolved uh, administrations through the Level and Up Fund, for example. So uh, lots more that we could be doing uh, in that area. And then the third point you raised was uh, additional tax raising powers. So um, under the Wales Act, there is a process that the Welsh Government uh, has to undertake in order to uh, seek the further devolution of, uh, of tax raising powers. And we've been testing that out now for the last couple of years, mm -hmm. and it's proven to be woefully inadequate uh, and uh, completely not fit for purpose. So essentially, Welsh Government has been seeking to devolve power to raise uh, tax in the area of vacant land. So this is not a controversial area. It's uh, relatively simple. And um, we chose that specifically because, you know, it felt like a um, uh, a smoother uh, kind of uh, approach which we could take to test the mechanism to devolve further taxes. But even after two years of quite intensive work, we haven't got anywhere with the UK government. and We've literally gone a full circle back to the start where they're asking us for the kind of information that we've already provided. And I think that this is just um, 
uh, it's it's political in the sense that the UK government doesn't want to devolve any further taxes uh, to us, so is going to ensure that the uh, the the system which is set in place to do so uh, doesn't work. So. Um, you know, we've had lots of discussions about what taxes might be devolved uh, in future. We've looked at potentially uh, uh, what we could do in, in the area of uh, social care, for example. But mm -hmm. ultimately, if we can't get the UK government to work uh, with us, it's going to be very difficult to deliver some of these things. Mm -hmm. OK, yeah, no, that, that's that's uh, an interesting set of issues that, I, yeah, we don't have to, time to delve into all of them in, in great detail. I mean, I suppose... The, the 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 UK government treasury perspective on this is presumably something like you as a government are asking for these additional flexibilities, yeah, borrowing powers, ability to move money between years, tax raising powers, and so on. Um, but they have a responsibility for the overall fiscal position, the level of debt, the level of public spending, and so on across the whole UK. Um, and also, the argument would be that through the Barnet formula, etc., Wales is relatively generously funded compared to England, certainly. I mean, I think it's around 23% higher public spending in Wales than in England on devolved matters like health and education and so on. So do you not feel that overall you may face some um, frustrations in terms of the, the rules you have to operate within, but overall, doesn't the system quite generously funds Wales and, and you as a government? I think that some of the things that we're asking for don't even involve uh, more money. It's just about giving us the tools that we need to manage the money that we have better. So those arguments about um, having greater access to the Wales Reserve, being able to carry more over uh, in financial years, I think uh, very much speak to just allowing us to use uh, what we have uh, better. And again, the same with borrowing powers. That doesn't cost UK government uh, any more to give us uh, greater uh, borrowing powers and more flexibility uh, uh, there. So we can you know, look at all of these various uh, aspects. And um, I think the point really is, though, that the UK government, and I do have some sympathy with the argument that you make, which would be made from a Treasury perspective, um, but we're not just another UK government department. Uh, this is the point that I think the UK government fails to see and Treasury fails to see particularly, uh, is that uh, we are a devolved government uh, alongside the other devolved administrations. And then we have different responsibilities uh, and needs uh, as compared to just um, another UK government department. And I think that's where some of this uh, uh, ends up uh, uh, sticking, really. Yeah, OK. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I take your point on that. Um, and in terms of potential sort of long term reform in this area, reform of the Barnett formula and so on. In our recent report on this subject, one of the things we suggested could be a, a good first step towards maybe more uh, fundamental reform would be to conduct a proper um, assessment of the spending needs of each part of the of the UK, which is something that tr the Treasury has previously done prior to devolution. It did it on at least two occasions, but um, politically it's quite a difficult area for UK government to enter into in because that would probably show that, that Scotland in particular gets funded higher than its level of needs. But in any case, <laughs> our argument is that that would be a good thing to do as a way to then inform a longer term debate about reform. Um, is that something that you would support? 
yes, I think, as you say, the politics of it for the UK government is uh, is difficult uh, for the reason particularly that you describe uh, in terms of uh, the situation in Scotland. But I do think that, um, you know, the more information and data that we have, the better we can make uh, make good decisions and well-informed decisions. And having that um, uh, uh, you know, more in-depth look across uh, the UK in terms of uh, of need, then I think uh, would be useful in in doing that, and also in you know informing where the next steps might go should there be a, uh, a reform of the the Barnett formula. Yeah. And uh, the Barnett formula and um, uh, and uh, you know our fiscal framework overall has to be reviewed at points, and I think that uh, to review it uh, from a from a perspective of uh, being well informed, I think would obviously uh, have benefits. Okay, great. Glad to hear <laughs> um, your agreement on that point. Okay, great. So, um, I mean, we've started to talk already about the the relationship, the state of the relationship between uh, Welsh government and and Westminster. Um, so, I was just thinking, what's what's been your own personal experience of engaging with, cooperating with, negotiating with uh, your your counterparts in the UK government? Uh, overall, I would say frustrating, but that doesn't mean that we haven't been able uh, to work um, constructively in ways uh, when it's been important to do so as well. So before the pandemic, we have um, we've established the finance quadrilaterals. So that's when all the, the three finance ministers of the devolved administrations meet with the chief secretary to the treasury. And those meetings happened very infrequently before the pandemic. But actually through the pandemic, they have... Um, or certainly until uh, the end of last autumn, had a, had quite a um, a good rhythm. Uh, so that was that was very good to have those regular opportunities uh, to press our particular cases uh, to the chief secretary. And um, although there will be some specific things which are different across uh, the devolved administrations, actually for the large part we we shared the same concerns on the same the, the same needs. Mm. Uh, so those uh, meetings were really useful. And I'll give you one really, uh, really good example. And that was uh, in terms of how we had additional funding in respect of COVID. So right at the start of the pandemic, the UK government would make an announcement about additional funding for um, social care, for example. And then officials in devolved administrations would be pouring over the detail, speaking to officials in Treasury, finding out if it's new money, if all of it's new money, if none of it is. Uh, and that could take a few days before we were able to uh, fully understand the situation and any funding we would receive as a consequence and then be in a position to make um, our decisions and obviously in the course of the pandemic there's been pressure to make very quick announcements on things as soon as the UK government has done so so at the start that really wasn't a satisfactory way to operate so we made the case then to Treasury that we should have uh, what we called the Covid guarantee in terms of funding. Uh, so that would mean that the uh, Treasury would guarantee us, and in the first instance, it was around uh, two billion pounds for Wales, mm. uh, that we could um, uh, deploy for COVID purposes in advance of announcements being made across the border in England. And that was really, really useful. So that was, I think, something which um, which was positive in terms of the relationships which we've had. And I always want to look for the positives uh, where we can where we can find them. In other ways, it has been more frustrating. So the flexibility arguments haven't uh, really gained uh, any traction. There are some ongoing 
issues that we're having with the UK government, uh, which we're not able to resolve at the moment. Uh, one, for example, would be coal tip remediation. Now, this is a really big uh, issue for us here in Wales. We have 40% of uh, all of the UK's coal tips here in Wales. Um, and uh, after the flooding, uh, the, not, not this uh, this February now, but the, the previous February, a big piece of work was undertaken to explore what work needed to be undertaken to make those coal tips safe for the future and a huge remediation piece of work has to happen. And that will cost around £500 million over the course of 10 years. So we would make the case that there's a strong argument that that should be funded outside of the Barnet formula because mm -hmm. it's a you know legacy issue which impacts upon Wales more greatly than elsewhere. But the UK government um, is not agreeing to any of that and says, look, that this, this is your issue, you need to deal with it. Uh, so those issues, I think, are still ongoing um, yet to be resolved uh, and I don't know how hopeful I am that we will come to a good resolution but it's still something that, that we're pursuing uh, at the moment so those are areas which are more tricky but you know we always try and come to the table in a constructive way uh, and try and uh, make our case as best we can. Okay yeah and um, so in terms of in, in terms of the, the sort of systems and structures for intergovernmental relations that you uh, have referred to um, <coughs> There were a couple of uh, quite interesting publications uh, I, I mentioned a moment ago that came out just yesterday. Um, so I'm just quite interested in what you make of. Oh, sorry, don't joke on, on live on air with us, please, Rebecca. <laughs> um, so my question being, um, so yeah, we saw um, published yesterday something called the the Dunlop Review, written by um, former Scotland Office Andrew Dunlop. Uh, which is, is, makes the case for Whitehall to develop a sort of stronger strategic centre to uh, manage devolution and, and the union as a whole. There was also publication of some proposals for how to strengthen the systems for intergovernmental cooperation and dispute resolution and so on. Although, um, interestingly, rather like the old um, draft Brexit agreements, um, many parts of that document were placed in square brackets, indicating that not all the governments were yet agreed uh, on what should happen. Um, and then there was also some guidance published that was in the news a bit on which uh, flags should be flown on UK government buildings, um, including a very specific requirement that if two flags are ever flown, the union flag must always be flown in the superior position, I quote from the, the government announcement. And I did just think that the contrast between these different announcements all on the same day was, was quite interesting. Um, my question is really just, I mean, what do you make overall of the UK government's approach to this? What is its union strategy and its approach to, to working with the devolved governments? Uh, well, it's completely baffling. I'll, I'll give them that. I mean, if the UK government thinks that their answer to um, a strong future for the UK is just to fly flags, then I think that uh, they're probably not reading the room based on what you've said earlier about the polls uh, which we've seen recently. Uh, so that um, uh, it just doesn't feel like a strategy for, um, you know, for a strong UK neither does what they've been doing with the Leveling Up Fund and the uh, Shared Prosperity Fund, you know, seeking to circumvent uh, devolution and cir circumvent the established uh, uh, democratic process that we have here in Wales for making decisions for things that are 
uh, devolved to us here in Wales. So I think that um, they, they just feel very, very out of touch uh, at the moment in terms of, uh, of their approach uh, to, to the future of the UK. Okay, and on the specifically on the on the intergovernmental relations review, I just mm. wondered if there's any light you could shed on what are the areas of disagreement? Because, um, as 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 uh, some some people watching might might be aware, I mean, this has been an area where for many many years there's been all sorts of reviews and reports, including some by us at the IFG, actually saying that we need a better, more systematic system for um, for managing relations between the four governments of the UK. Um, and what was published yesterday, I from, from, from my quick read through it earlier, is actually quite impressive. I mean, there are plans for a whole set of new committees in different uh, policy areas, a new, more transparent approach to resolving disputes when they arise and various other things. But um, there are some parts of it, as I said, where, where agreement hasn't yet been reached. So what, as I say, are the, are the main points of disagreement still? Now, as you say, there have, have been some areas of real progress, um, particularly in terms of dispute avoidance and resolution uh, in areas uh, outside of finance. But uh, from a, uh, a finance perspective, um, it really is about getting uh, the balance right in terms of the relationships for the future. And we don't feel like we've got that far yet. One of the particular issues, again, is about that um, dispute resolution. So we still don't have a, a feasible proposal of something that we would consider to be fair. And there are times in the recent um, years when we would have wanted to use some kind of um, uh, system like that. An example would be that um, the statement of funding policy says, um, as you know, that if it's a decision taken in a um, uh, in one part of the uh, uh, United Kingdom, so if the UK government takes a decision on something uh, which is devolved, but it has impacts on our finances, then it needs to uh, make a um, uh, a funding transfer as a result of that. But this hasn't happened in uh, the example of teachers' pensions, for example. The uh, teachers' pensions were increased, had a knock-on impact to our budget, uh, but the funding didn't come across from the UK government. So that's one uh, particular area. And then there are other areas where we would um, really seek to, uh, uh, to lodge a dispute uh, the example of the way in which rail funding has been uh, considered in the spending review. So currently we have a comparability of factor of 36.6% with uh, DFT and that's because of the way in which the UK government has not included HS2 and network rail in terms of its uh, considerations, yeah. despite the fact that we've had uh, the core value lines devolved to us uh, in Wales. Now that factor was previously over 80%, so you can see that there's a significant fall in our funding yeah. uh, there as a result. So again, that's something that we would have liked to have taken to a an independent uh, adjudicator to get some kind of uh, resolution on. But at the moment, all we can do is say to UK Treasury that we're not happy and uh, you know try and work with them reasonably. Yeah, indeed. So yeah, essentially, as you say, it comes down to does H is HS2 categorised as a project for England and Wales or just for England? If mm. it were categorised as just for England, then Wales would get additional money based on the population share as Scotland and Northern Ireland do. But because of the, the fact that in rail uh, networks are not fully devolved to Wales, this is the, yeah, this is the effect on the budget. If anyone's interested 
particular case and the slightly technical aspects of the Barnett formula, please do read our report on this funding devolution that I mentioned before, um, because it is quite a complicated area. But it's yeah, it's it's one where I know the the Welsh government has some I think um, quite quite legitimate questions to to ask of the Treasury. Okay, great. Uh, I want to bring in some questions from the audience. We've had a few through. Thank you um, to people who've submitted. Um, so. Let us start with a question from, um, from Mark, uh, which is, what lessons has the Welsh Government learnt from COVID and what specific changes will you bring in around the management of public services um, going forward? Mm. Um, I think that COVID has, um, you know, challenged all of us in so many ways, but particularly, obviously, been a huge challenge uh, for public services. In terms of what we've learned, I think that we've learned that we do things better when we do them uh, in collaboration and in partnership. That's been, I think, one of the standout um, uh, successes and one of the standout uh, matters of our response to the pandemic has been the way in which at every step of the way we've done uh, we've taken all of the decisions uh, in terms of um, uh, uh, responding to the pandemic in ways which have listened to our social partners uh, and in ways which have worked very closely with public services and a really I think uh, important example is our approach to the contact tracing so across the border in England there are all kinds of um, uh, allegations been made about cronyism, about horrendous waste of public money. But in Wales, we took a different approach and we've introduced it as a public service. So when people are um, called about a contact that they've had with somebody with um, with coronavirus, then they'll be called by someone who either works for the council or the health board, who's a public servant, usually located in their own local community as well. And as a result of that, I think the level of trust between that person and the person on the end of the phone uh, is higher. And we found that people have been more willing in Wales to provide the information needed for contact tracing and as a result our contact tracing figures are uh, are very good. Uh, so I think that's something that we've learned um, here is that uh, actually doing things through public services. Um, I don't know if we needed to learn this lesson because it's what it was, uh, you know, it, it speaks to the heart really of, of, of our approach, but it vindicated really our, our approach of taking a public service model to uh, to the response to the public health uh, crisis. Mm -hmm. OK, great, thanks. Um, all right, another question then uh, also uh, referring to coronavirus effects. Uh, this is from Lisa Haley-Jones. Um, so this is a kind of <laughs> more political question. It says, as someone who lives in North Wales, how are you going to convince me to vote for Labour in the May elections, especially given the consequences of the harsh lockdown? Mm -hmm. Well, it has been a harsh lockdown for, for all of us. We're all really, really feeling it in terms of, um, you know, not seeing uh, family and friends for so long. I hope that people do recognise that when we have taken really, really difficult decisions, that we've done so on the basis of the scientific evidence presented to us. And we've been faithful to that evidence all along. We can't pick and choose which parts of it uh, we, we listen to. And as a result, you know, we do end up taking really, really difficult decisions. I don't think any of us... Uh, Certainly, in my party, came into uh, into politics to uh, to take people's liberties away and to restrict the things that they can do. But I hope that uh, that people realise uh, and and 
accept that we've done so in a way which has been based on trying to save as many lives as we possibly can and livelihoods. In terms of North Wales, I think that um, uh, some of the particular things that uh, that you'd be interested in would be the new uh, North Wales Medical School, which we're seeking to introduce. Uh, that's one of our top pledges because uh, we know that we need to continue investing in the NHS in Wales and uh, having uh, people trained in North Wales and with hopefully then to stay in North Wales for their for their career in medicine, I think will be uh, will be a really good uh, next step in terms of uh, support for the NHS. So that's something in particular that we're we're very very keen to deliver. And also in North Wales, taking forward that um, that vision of North Wales uh, as as uh, the kind of. Uh, energy breadbasket, if I'm not misking, <laughs> mixing up too many uh, <laughs> metaphors in, in that particular one uh, for for green energy for the future, I think will be uh, will be really important as well as as well as putting North Wales or continuing to put North Wales on the map for things such as advanced manufacturing and so on. So I think that uh, there's lots, uh, lots and lots to be proud of uh, in North Wales. I'm only sorry it's been so long since we've been able to go anywhere and uh, I, uh, I do miss uh, miss North Wales. <laughs> okay, well, here's a question about South Wales for you then. Uh, so this is from uh, Paul Hayes um, from Turner and Townsend, and he asks, uh, what are the main sectors within Wales, specifically South Wales, um, that you would look to target in order to rebuild the economy? Uh, we have some uh, really strategically important sectors uh, here in Wales and in South Wales. Um, I would be thinking about the steel industry, for example. That's uh, going to be, uh, you know, extremely important uh, for our recovery and for our future, uh, as as um, our, our economic future as a nation. So that's one of the sectors which I think that we need to be looking to uh, continue to support. It's one of the sectors which UK government has unfortunately consistently uh, failed to support, but uh, steel is incredibly. Uh, important and at the top of our agenda, as is the aviation uh, industry. So we've got um, our support for Cardiff Airport uh, and all of those jobs which it supports uh, in the vicinity. And of course, up in uh, North Wales, we have uh, Airbus. So uh, that again is a sector which the UK government hasn't sought to support, but which is really important for us in terms of uh, connectivity, but then also in terms of those um, those well-paid skilled jobs that uh, that we want to be nurturing and, uh, and increasing the number of here in Wales. So those two particular sectors uh, will be important, um, as will manufacturing uh, generally. So my colleague, the uh, Minister for Economy, has recently published uh, a manufacturing plan, uh, which will uh, seek to corral all of our efforts, really, in terms of uh, supporting our existing manufacturing base uh, in Wales, especially in the context of all the challenges of, of Brexit and so on. Mm -hmm. But then also uh, trying to grow that sector as well, looking at what we can do in terms of import substitution, for example. Uh, so lots of uh, opportunities there for the future, I think. But uh, always really with a strong focus on um, on skills uh, and, and employability. And then the last sector, which I think is really um, uh, important to mention, is um, the cyber sector. And again, this is something which um, uh, Wales is really putting itself on the map on. Uh, Putting it, uh, using to put itself on the map is our um, uh, our expertise that we're rapidly developing in terms of cybersecurity. So uh, I think that that's uh, a sector to be watching for the future as well. Okay, great. And I want to follow up on this discussion with uh, just one more question from me actually, which is about the the UK government's approach to trying to um, 
to, to stimulate economic growth and, and rebuild communities and so on. You, you referred to this in passing before. Um, the government has recently announced um, its plans for the levelling up funds, uh, which will operate all across the UK um, and try and you know di di divert money to um, places and people in need as part of economic rebuilding. There's going to be a shared prosperity fund to replace EU structural funding. There are other things as well, other signs as well of the UK government wanting to take a much more active role in encouraging and stimulating economic growth and infrastructure development and so on all across the UK. So you've described that as um, an astonishing assault on devolution. Um, I think that was, that was a quote uh, from the news recently. Um, I suppose my question to you is, do, do you think it actually matters or should matter to Welsh voters and communities whether they're getting money and investment from Westminster as opposed to from Cardiff? Why is it intrinsically a problem? Uh, it should matter for a number of reasons. First being that the power to take decisions in this area in terms of uh, regional development is very much within the context of, uh, of the devolution settlement. So it should worry people that the people who have been elected to take decisions in these areas and scrutinise decisions in these areas are being bypassed uh, as a result. But I know that constitutional arguments don't uh, get you very, very far with lots of people. So there are other reasons why people should be worried, one of which is the financial impact uh, on us and uh, the ways in which uh, the Welsh Government's uh, budget and I think the amount which the UK Government intends to spend in this area um, has been diminished as a result. So in a normal year, had we been uh, members of the European Union, we would be receiving £375 million from the European Union for regional development and um, structural funds and so forth. But uh, in terms of what the UK government is uh, suggesting through the levelling up fund and the shared prosperity fund, we could be looking at uh, only between 30 and 50 million pounds as a result uh, of that. So that in itself, I think, should get people uh, angry in terms of, uh, of what's, what's uh, happening uh, through the Shared Prosperity Fund and the Leveling Up Fund, which, despite its name, I think uh, appears to be uh, incapable of doing anything like that. OK, thanks. Great. Well, that, that is also an issue where we at the Institute for Government are hoping to uh, publish something over the coming months um, and uh, be keen to engage with you on that as we take that forward. Um, so we are now at uh, 12.45. We did have another uh, few questions come in but I'm afraid uh, with apologies to those who submitted them um, we're going to have to call the conversation to a halt now but um, Rebecca thanks thanks so much for for taking part I've, I've really enjoyed speaking with you and I uh, hope, hope you've uh, enjoyed the uh, opportunity as well. And, I have thank you. Uh, great yeah and uh, thank you to everyone who uh, tuned in and uh, please look out for our upcoming events over the coming weeks on other aspects of devolution to Wales and, both, and Scotland as well. Thanks very much. Thank you for listening and we hope you've enjoyed this edition of IFG Live. Please do subscribe to hear more and if you'd like to know about our upcoming events, please visit instituteforgovernment.org.uk slash events.